0: If you have Bibles with you, I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a golden statue whose height was 60 cubits and whose width was 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent for the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to assemble and come to the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces assembled for the dedication of the statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. When they were standing before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, the herald proclaimed aloud, "'You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, "'that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, "'and entire musical ensemble, "'you are to fall down and worship the golden statue "'that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. "'Whoever does not fall down and worship "'shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. "'Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, "'pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble,' All the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Accordingly, at this time, certain Chaldeans came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble shall fall down and worship the golden statue. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods. They do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought in. So they brought those men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and you do not worship the golden statue that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, and entire musical ensemble to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to present a defense to you in this matter. If our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire and out of your hand, O King, let him deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O King, that we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with rage against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face was distorted. He ordered the furnace heated up seven times more than was customary and ordered some of the strongest guards in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So the men were bound, still wearing their tunics, their trousers, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. Because the king's command was urgent and the furnace was so overheated, the raging flames killed the men who lifted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He replied, But I see four men unbound walking in the middle of the fire, and they're not hurt, and the fourth has the appearance of a god. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of blazing fire and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their tunics were not harmed, not even the smell of fire came from them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that utters blasphemy against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So remember last time we spoke that God gave King Nebuchadnezzar a dream, and God interpreted that dream through King Nebuchadnezzar, or he interpreted it for Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel. Some of you remember the dream. The question we want to begin with today is this, what did Nebuchadnezzar hear? in what Daniel told him. What did Nebuchadnezzar hear? Did he hear that Babylon was only the first of four great human kingdoms which would be organized over time on the earth? Is that what he heard? Did he hear that a greater kingdom, not of this world, was going to come and completely wipe out all of those kingdoms and even their memories would be cast into the wind? Is that what he heard? Did Nebuchadnezzar hear that there's a God who is above all those who would pretend to be gods, and that history is in his hands? Is that what he heard? Did Nebuchadnezzar hear that even though he had defeated Israel, the God of Israel was the God of gods and the king of kings? Is that what he heard? No. He didn't hear any of that. It was all there in Daniel's interpretation of the dream, but he heard none of that. What did Nebuchadnezzar hear? It seems that as soon as he heard the good stuff about him at the beginning, he stopped listening. You remember the verses. This is in Daniel 2, verse 37. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory, into whose hand he has given human beings, wherever they live, the wild animals of the field and the birds of the air, and whom he has established as ruler over them all, you are the head of gold. Apparently, that's all he heard. Everything else, unnecessary. So Nebuchadnezzar determined that he would make a statue of gold. He is the head of gold, after all. And since Babylon is the greatest kingdom on earth, and Daniel himself said that Nebuchadnezzar was king of kings, and that he had been given the entire world to rule even the animals under his authority, then it only makes sense that everyone should hear the good news and everyone should celebrate the might of Babylon and the glory of its king. Doesn't that make sense? The text of Daniel doesn't tell us What form the statue took, we don't know. Now, if you've ever seen pictures, you probably see it mostly put in the form of Nebuchadnezzar himself as a statue. But did you notice when we were reading it that it never tells us what shape the statue took, only that it was a monument. We're told it was huge, about 976 feet tall, about 97 feet wide at the base. And it was made of gold, probably laid in gold. Though it's not unheard of in these days to make pretty pure gold things. So, it's possible. It could have been a statue of Nebuchadnezzar himself. Could have been a statue of one of his gods. Could have simply been some sort of an obelisk that represented the glory of Babylon. Whatever it was, that doesn't seem very important to Daniel. What was important was what it represented. And as the verses we read together make clear, this statue represented the might of Babylon, the glory and power of its king, and the strength of its gods. What did Nebuchadnezzar hear? He heard that Babylon was the most valuable, the most precious human nation that would ever exist. The next ones would be silver, and bronze, and iron, but only Babylon was gold. That's what he heard. And he wanted all of his subjects to celebrate that fact. So he built a monument to represent the might of Babylon, and he commanded everyone to come and pay homage to his might. To the might of Babylon's gods and to the might of the Babylonian nation. As we begin kind of to think about Nebuchadnezzar's response and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's interactions with him, we probably should observe first that just because God has spoken does not mean that we have understood what he has said. What God says must be interpreted. Those with hard hearts do not hear what God says. They hear only their own voice, echoed. Nebuchadnezzar, like many of us, when we study the scriptures or we receive an impression from God, he heard what he wanted to hear. And oftentimes we hear what we want to hear. Now what he heard was not wrong. God did say those things to him. But what he heard was incomplete. It was misinterpreted and it was misapplied. Nothing in the prophecy given to him indicated that he should build a statue and make everybody worship it. But that's what he thought he was authorized to do. That should scare us a little bit, should humble us. It should reveal to us why John says in 1 John that you must test the spirits to see if they are from God. He should have run this by Daniel before he did it, but he did not. And because of these misunderstandings, Nebuchadnezzar set himself on a collision course with God and with God's people. The first idol of humanity and the last is the idol of self. We want to be worshipped. We want our achievements to be honored. We want things with which we identify to be celebrated. We want to be respected. We want to be applauded. We want to be cared for We want to be loved. In fact, we think we have a right to be respected and a right to be cared for and a right to be loved. But Nebuchadnezzar had it too, and he was king. So, kind of like all of us now with social media, he had the means to force people, pressure people, publicize his greatness, and see if he could get followers and see if he could get likes. When Nebuchadnezzar heard his kingdom was a kingdom of gold and when he heard God tell him through Daniel that he had been given dominion over the earth, he wanted everyone to know what God had said to him. He took a selfie and he videotaped Daniel and he put it on YouTube and he wanted everyone to know what God had said about him and what he had done in God's name, right? That's what he wanted. But if he had read the scriptures of the people of Israel, he would have been warned. Proverbs 16, 18 says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that was a teaching echoed also in Jesus when he was dealing with a religion in his time in which most of it was performance and very little of it was authentic and most was done for show and for accolades and for praise. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter six, verse one, beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your father in heaven. So whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly I tell you, they've received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be done in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. These principles that run through the teachings of the people of Israel is that pride and the desire to feed that pride by forcing obeisance from others leads to destruction. There is no godly future in that. We've let the world down as a church. The Christian church generally in the last 50 years, when we have become a place in which we market ourselves as a place, if you're lonely, you'll find friends. If you're hungry, you'll find food. If you're hopeless, you'll find hope. What are we doing? We're saying we will worship you. Come here and you will feel special. Come here and you will feel honored. Come here and you will never be lonely. You'll be respected and cared for. We have fed the desire to be worshipped in our sales pitch of the cross. And many of us hear the cross the same way. When we listen to the story of the cross, what we really think is, look at how much God loves me. Look at what he was willing to do for me. I love him because look at how he loved me. And we worship him because he first worshipped us. That's how people hear it. But that's not the gospel. He did not die because he was so affectionate for the people of the earth. He died because he has loved us the people of the earth, because he has chesed, because he is loyal, because he is faithful to his word, because he told the people of Israel that he would be faithful to them, because he told Noah he would never destroy the earth again with a flood, because he is faithful to his word is why he laid down his life, because he made a covenant with us before the world was created, that he would be faithful to his creation and maintain it to the last day. And that's why he died for us, because he loved us, but we do not worship him because he worshiped us. We worship him for who he is. Nebuchadnezzar could have, learned, could have used to learn that story. The people of Israel hadn't learned it. That's why they were in exile. That's why they were in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar, because they had not learned that story. We continue to think that God does things for us and worships us, and because he worships us, we can worship him, but that is the wrong calculation. And we're gonna find that out through the story of Nebuchadnezzar. As we consider Nebuchadnezzar's festival to his and Babylon's greatness, We'll consider the actions of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the admonitions of Nebuchadnezzar, and the acknowledgement of God. We're going to start with the actions of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This comes from Daniel chapter 3, verses 8 through 12, but I'm just going to read verse 12. There are certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know those weren't really their names. Those were the new names the Babylonians gave them. These pay no heed to you, O king. They do not serve your gods. They do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. So what did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse to do? And why did they refuse to do it? The language indicates that they refused to take the body posture and thereby pay homage to the might and to the superiority of Babylon. They would not do it. Now we hear that that he wanted them to worship. The idol. When we hear that, we think of a religious service like this. But worship is not a purely religious term. Now, I wish that this part of the Old Testament, the First Testament, was written in Hebrew because I could really drive home the word avad. But I can't do that because this is written in Aramaic and it's a little bit different. But the word in Aramaic does not mean a religious service. It means to pay homage, to pay proper respect, to serve Babylon. we think what they were being asked to do was to come to a religious service and worship an idol. And it is an idol, but not as clear an idol as you might think. It's not as though somebody came into our church service and put up something here on the platform and said, everybody come down, kneel and kiss this thing's feet and go out. It was more like a a political rally. This thing was to represent the might of Babylon. This is why a few weeks ago I compared it to a flag today. It's very similar to that. It was a symbol meant to represent the greatness of Babylon, the superiority of her gods, and the greatness of her king. And all the people were to come and bow down to it. They were to pay homage to it. They were to honor it because they were honoring the greatness of the nation it represented. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said they couldn't do. And more important for us is why couldn't they do it? What was it that prevented them? I mean, they already were serving Babylon. Daniel was already advising the king. It's not as though he wasn't kind of in the thick of this thing. They had already heard from Jeremiah that during their 70 years of exile, they were supposed to pray for the leaders to whom they were sent, pray for the prosperity of the nations, because if that nation prospered, so would they. So what's the big deal? Why couldn't they do it? They refused to show proper respect to this image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. In fact, they were willing even to die for that refusal. Why? Well, they refused to pretend that Babylon is equal to or greater than the God of Israel. They refused to believe that Babylon is the kingdom of God on earth. They refused to honor it above all nations and above all gods. And why did they refuse? Because the law of Moses had told them never to do such a thing. Everything that Nebuchadnezzar did was a violation of Moses' teachings, and they knew they could not take part in it. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 4, the people of Israel were told these things from God himself. You shall not make for yourself an idol, Now, you might say, yeah, an idol. An idol is something you worship like a Buddha. No, an idol is simply the word for an image. You are not to make an image, a likeness. We are the image of God, same word. You're not to make an image. You're not to make a likeness, whether in the form of anything that's in heaven above or that's on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. That's the Hebrew word, God to serve. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. <clears throat> they knew they were not to make images of anything, and they were certainly not supposed to talk to them, or pay homage to them, or bow, prostrate before them, or do obeisance to them. They knew not to do that. God had told them not to do it. Bowing down to images, whatever they might be, meant to represent, was prohibited by God. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that they were living in exile at that time because of how many times Israel had compromised the law of Moses because of how many times they had done these very things with justifications as to why they're fine to do. And they knew what had happened to them. They were living in Babylon. They had been made eunuchs in the court of the king. They had lost their culture, their identity, even their circumcision taken from them. And they knew they could no longer compromise. Bowing down to images of whatever they might be meant to represent was prohibited by God. Celebrating nature, power, nations, achievements, and all those things were not the way of God. And so as we listen to this refusal of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we must remember, church, that we are not to set up any monument to our greatness or the greatness of anyone else. Not to our achievements, not even to our God-given talents. And we are prohibited from requiring others to give honor to these things we ourselves are prohibited from making physical acts of obeisance to them. We are not to be praised, nor are we to require praise. Let's listen to the admonitions of Nebuchadnezzar. This is in Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 to 22. But I'm just going to read a couple of verses here, starting with verse 15. Now, if you're ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, drum, an entire musical ensemble, to fall down and worship the statue that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire, and who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Essentially, what Nebuchadnezzar was saying is that if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not pay proper homage to the nation of Babylon to the king of Babylon, and to her gods, then they would die. Why such a severe penalty? Because this was treason in his eyes. This is what all kings and all nations require of their citizens. In the days of Babylon, continuing to this day, there are far more citizens than there are leaders in every nation, And leaders need to ensure that the citizenry is properly motivated to be loyal to the nation and loyal to its leaders. Every nation has its own way of incentivizing its citizenry to be loyal, to be obedient, and to be generally easy to manage. Every nation has it. And this indoctrination usually begins in every nation on earth throughout history in childhood. It begins with teaching children the proper respect for the nation, It proceeds through national holidays and commemorations. And it ends with the definition of treason and how treason is punished. In the Roman Empire of Jesus' day, there was something called the household code that every child was taught from the time they were little. It showed the orderliness of the society, of the culture, of the home, and ultimately of Rome itself with Caesar at the top. And absolute loyalty was required of all those in the household and they were taught it from the time they were little. United States does this too. Every nation does. Essentially, Nebuchadnezzar saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as enemies of this kind of orderliness. They were traitors. And traitors are to be made examples of. After all, if this sort of rebelliousness was allowed to continue, think of the instability in Babylon it would produce. The same thing happened in Nazi Germany many, many centuries later. So quotation from Word Biblical Commentary on the book of Daniel. Whatever the nature of the statue, it held religion and state together. The institution that claims absolute authority is inclined also to claim the sanctions of religion. Empires can have feet of clay and can fall apart, so it is well to use all means to reinforce their strength and unity. God is is acknowledged not because he is God, but because this helps to undergird the state. Herr Baldur von Schirach declared in 1936, one cannot be a good German and at the same time deny God. But an arousal of faith in the eternal German is at the same time an arousal of faith in the eternal God. If we act as true Germans, we act according to the laws of God. Whoever serves Adolf Hitler, the Fuhrer, serves Germany, and whoever serves Germany serves God. That was printed in the London Times on the 29th of July, 1936. Five years later, in an essay, The Gods of the Nations and God, Martin Buber, um, a, a Jewish writer, observed how every nation is inclined to make an idol of its own inner spirit. Israel's calling was to erect a throne to God rather than to itself. And that's why every nation is bound to desire to get rid of us, he says about the Jewish people, at the time it is in the act of setting itself up as the absolute. In Israel, only God was to be honored. No idols, no images, no craftings, only God. And God was never to be confused with the king or with the high priest. Because Nebuchadnezzar had made this monument a touchstone of loyalty to the nation and to the king, he felt he had backed himself into a corner. He felt he had no choice but to punish these men because if he didn't now, he would have supported traitorous behavior and who knows what could have happened next. How is God going to respond? We see his response in Daniel 3, 23 to 30. I'm just going to read here a portion of it. But the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up quickly. He said to his counselors, Was it not three men that we threw bound into the fire? They answered the king, True, O king. He replied, But I see four men unbound, walking in the middle of the fire, and they're not hurt. And the fourth has the appearance of a god. Now who was that fourth person? Nebuchadnezzar says he has the appearance of In Hebrew, it would be an Elohim, Elohei, I think, in, in Aramaic. Now, for those who've been with us, you're now coming to understand that in this culture, both in Israel and in the Middle East broadly, Elohim refers to a spiritual being. Of course, God is the Elohim for Israel. He is the God of gods, the only true God. But Elohim is just a category of spiritual being. God's name is not God. God's name in Hebrew lettering is Y-H-W-H. Adonai, the Lord. The simple term Elohim refers to spiritual beings generally. So Nebuchadnezzar is more or less saying in his culture, in his day, that he's seeing what we would call an angel or an angelic being, something that's supernatural, not a human. That's what he's saying. Now some Christians insist this has to be Jesus. Now, the Bible is pretty silent on whether Jesus ever took physical form before he was incarnated in the womb of Mary. It could be, but it doesn't have to be, so we'll leave it at that. What's important is that God protected them from the flames. God stood up for them in a public way, and Nebuchadnezzar realized it, and it scared him, because he had said what God will protect you, and now a God had shown up. Now, funny, you look at his response. He didn't take the idol down. You notice? In response to this, he did not take the idol down. Nor did he change the edict that everybody was supposed to worship it. All he did was exempt Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from having to do it. And then he protected them by saying, if anyone blasphemes their God, then they will be punished. He made room for Jewish religion in Babylon. That's all he did in response. He did not convert, which will be clear enough in the chapters to follow. I'm always amazed by the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here. Especially given that they lived in a time in which the afterlife was not a certain hope. In their day, it was hoped for, but it had never been revealed clearly. That will happen in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapters 11 and 12. It will finally be revealed clearly to the people of Israel that there is resurrection from the dead. But that is not clear prior to that. It's hoped for, but it's not clear. And yet, even in a life where they They might have hoped for resurrection, but they weren't sure about that. This might have been all they had. They still refused to bow down. Here's another quotation from Golden Gay's Commentary. The implicit question being asked of them is the adversary's question about Job. Does he only honor God because of the blessing God gives him? God may be trusted to protect us, but our honoring him is not conditional upon his preserving us from every blazing furnace, so that if he should not do so, we are free to abandon him and try some other God. Death is preferable to apostasy. We regard no other God but God, no matter what happens. We obey God, not human beings. That's the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the face of a king who really intended to do them serious harm. Is that your faith today? Because we know that God has not always rescued his people from the consequences of their obedience. Not all have been delivered from the furnaces. But this story insists that however God responds in the moment, he honors those who put this sort of faith in him. And in the life and teachings of Jesus, it's revealed that even if God does not protect us from the flames, He will raise us from the dead. What might we learn from the examples we see in this story? First, we must learn from Nebuchadnezzar that we have to be careful not to interpret God's word to our own advantage. Second, we must not seek honor, respect, or praise for who we are or for what we've done. We cannot demand it. We cannot punish people for not doing it. We cannot gossip about them because they didn't honor us as we thought we should be honored. These are pagan, fleshly, Babylonian values. They have no place among the people of God. We must put loyalty to God before loyalty to anything else. And part of what that means is that we must obey God's law no matter the consequences. We must trust God with the consequences of our obedience. And finally, we must have faith that God honors those who refuse to honor anyone in his place. God honors those who refuse to honor anyone or anything in his place. Jesus is Lord.